The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Almonds. Of course. We'll get to almonds. F- f- firstly, because the value that Jacinda Ardern gave for two litres of milk was exactly how much you would need to spend on almonds to make a 5% almond milk uh, mixture. Second of all, perfect. Yeah. Um, remember we learned about the almonds in the Herald on Sunday, you know, when they had Clark Gayford and Mary English writing about, you know, why yes, my partner should yes. be them. We remember you, Ben because you bring this story. up almost I this. every week. I, I think about it all the time. But do you think that they'll do the same thing this year? Do you reckon they'll have Clark talking about how Jacinda gathers dandelions and thistles under a full moon to make tea for him and Neve? Mm. And then David Wongtung will just have a page that's crude drawings <laughs> of Jacinda <laughs> and hammer and sickle and signia. It's like, No, my picky, my kaki, my hi there, my, this is Gone by Lunchtime. My name is Toby Manhart. It's just after 10 a.m. on Wednesday, October 7. There are 10 days to go in the forever election. The only way to guarantee this election eventually comes to an end is to join spin-off members, change your electricity provider to Flick, and to subscribe to this podcast and say something nice about Annabelle Lee Mather and Ben Thomas, who join me now. Hello, Annabelle. Talofa and amen. Hello, Ben, we'll get to that. Um, hello, it's I'm amped. I'm amped because um, it's almost over. Yes, I'm like Donald Trump, stare, like facing the end of life, right? And <laughs> newly energized, <laughs> taking the podium, yeah. slightly short of breath, but yep. still pumped. But stifling the coughs to protect the country. We'll start with some questions, ladies and gentlemen, to check out and touch you uh, with the lives of ordinary New Zealanders. First off, how much is a 1.5 liter bottle of Mountain Dew, Ben? Mm. Uh, from the dairy or the supermarket? Supermarket, countdown supermarket. No, see, I've never bought it from the supermarket. It's only been like a desperate uh, kind of okay. dairy dash sort right. of thing where it's, it's pretty expensive. Yeah, how Not much? Not compared to nutritional foods. How but, much? Um, I think the 440 mil can is about three two fifty three bucks. Do you buy it by the can or by the liter? Uh, by the can, easier to recycle. One point five liters of plastics. What do you think? The one. answer is two dollars sixty, ladies and gentlemen. Annabelle, mm-hmm. how much is a VIP maxi combo at Zorb Rotorua, which includes four Zorb rides, a Zorb video, Zorb photos, and a Zorb T-shirt? That's the VIP maxi combo. Oh, I'm going to say three hundred and fifty tala. Three hundred and fifty. <laughs> no, it's it's free for returning New Zealanders as long as they intend to stay for three months or more. <laughs> Otherwise, three thousand five hundred dollars. Uh. The answer that is $160, uh, listeners. I think that was right. I think once you do the currency <laughs> mm-hmm. thing, I'm, I'm actually 
right on the money. Don't disrespect Samoa. Its Sorry. currency is surging right now. Today we're going to talk about the third of four leaders' debates which happened last night in Christchurch, uh, hosted by the Press newspaper and stuff.co.nz. We're going to talk about national MPs leaking again, about Judith Collins in the pews, the early turnout in the Māori seats, maybe a little bit about the minor party debate, which you and I went to last week, Ben. Annabelle didn't show up. No, don't know what was it. Coronavirus. I think it must mm. have been a little mm-hmm. cheeky little spot of COVID. A little bit, just a little bit. The debate. Uh, Judith Collins was broadly thought to have won the first two debates, if not by a great distance, uh, having bringing bringing the energy. This time, my perception, Ben, was that she perhaps lost the ability to modulate the mm. the moments, the timings, the combativeness flipped over into negativity at a few crucial moments. The whole thing seemed to play out a bit like a pantomime of the first two debates. Jacinda Ardern doing this very sort of self-conscious, oh, now, now we'll have a unifying moment, mm. kind of hamming it up for the camera. Um, breaking the fourth wall, you know, now I'm going to do my great healing routine. And Jacinda uh, and Judith Collins, yeah, I think tipped over a bit too much into kind of hectoring and aggression rather than that kind of controlled performance we saw. Um, it was interesting. When I, I took notes, here's, a, oh, wow. here's an audio illustration of the people at home. Mm. And when I looked back over my, debate, uh, my notes uh, to do a write-up, I sort of thought, well... Collins actually seemed to have the most moments in as much as you could say anyone did. Um, she seemed to have, uh, you know, make more sort of substantive points again, you know, on a low base. But I th- sort of thought, but Ardern won the debate. You know, that was the overwhelming impression that I got from it afterwards. Yeah. And I, I think, yeah, Collins's tone seemed a bit, a bit nervy, sort of like she was really kind of trying to force the action. And it's hard to divorce that from the current context where national, we assume, is still well behind in the polls. 270,000 votes had already been cast by uh, by the end of Monday, and the idea that there was a bit, a bit of a sort of running out the clock, um, you know, it was it was kind of like one of those, you know, rugby move, end of, end of the yeah. rugby extra time where they're throwing yeah, the ball. Come off, the come off a bit of a difficult day where there was quite a lot of firefighting happening with leaks from within her caucus, which, which we'll get to in a bit. Annabelle, was your read on the debate in that same territory? Well, mine's slightly different just because I don't agree that Judith won the the News Hub debate. I thought um, Jacinda put in a stronger performance and I think what... what, what Jacinda did well there, she did even better last night. And what Jacinda did, uh, what Judith did poorly in that debate, which, like you say, was the the hectoring, not reading the room well, a, a perceived sort of lack of discipline and prepared to say anything in the heat of the moment, hmm. was even more accentuated last night. Uh, somebody else made the observation, which I think is an interesting one that Judith Collins seemed to at times be debating the room and the moderators as well as Jacinda Ardern. And that's in part because she was heckled. But Jacinda Ardern was more adept at doing the debate for television, which of course is 
is the is the real play. Uh, one of the things J- I thought J- was JFK interesting, Nixon all over again. Yes, it was very much, very much like uh, Nixon. The one of the one of the things that I thought was interesting was that because it's a, you know, it's not it's not the flashy TV stations putting it on. It's a website, and they're they're they've got a lot of excellent people there now. So it's it's by no means is it a sellotape production, but there were no cameras back on the crowd. So mm-hmm. when Judith Collins was engaging with the crowd seemingly or kind of throwing lines out there, there was no cutaway to the crowd, which is a big crowd in the, the theatre in the town hall in Christchurch. 750 people 750 people, yeah. Turnaround. Very, very, very much alert level one good times. Uh, so you kind of felt a bit like, what's she doing? What's going on? And I thought that that was probably to her detriment on the TV. Yeah, you, if if you're talking to somebody that the viewer at home can't see, you just start to seem a bit insane and paranoid. Um, it's certainly distracting. The the difference that's emerged from the past two debates, I think the News Hub one was a draw, where they were both really on top of their games. Mm. But the difference in tenor that's emerged between the two is that Ardern is looking like a Prime Minister mm. in the last two debates. Collins is very much looking like the scrappy challenger, mm. too good effect in the News Hub debate, mm. and probably to her detriment last night. It's a risky uh, strategy that you play close to the wire, and I think it's inevitable that sometimes you cross that wire. Yeah, I think, you know, Judith is is great at being assertive, but her problem last night was that she wasn't choosing her, her battles wisely, and so the, the, um, her response to Jacinda and border control with the don't res- disrespect Samoa thing mm. I think just makes it come across as um, maniacal. Yeah, the, I thought she actually did well on the border response stuff. She got, her, I think, her biggest pop of the night when she talked about the failures at the border and about letting people come onto planes with COVID-19 uh, early in the piece. And that got a surprisingly strong reaction, um, which sort of suggests... I mean, first of all, you've got to remember it's a Canterbury crowd and they're very parochial and they're probably a bit more conservative, if not centre-right-leaning, but more conservative in a New Zealand sense than a lot of other audiences, particularly Auckland audiences, for the debates. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was that sort of sense of fortress New Zealand that... uh, that Judith, you know, played on. Um, I, I thought, you know, and, and Ardern sort of responded with, well, your response is to put Jerry Brownlee in charge of the border, which mm. you would have expected would get a good response in Christchurch, but actually fell a little bit flat. Did it? I, I, yeah, I, it Jerry got, Brownlee got, was very much the third third <laughs> uh, person on the stage who was referenced very times. And at one, at one point, um, I thought, he, he, he when they were doing their how much is a pint of milk mm. questions, there was a question: How much does the press, the oh, yeah. press newspaper cost? And he hollered from the crowd: "Too much." <laughs> a lot of um, a lot of the arguments that Judith put up last night about the border, though, were completely eviscerated this morning by Susie Ferguson on Morning Report. I don't know if Susie had her wheat bix this morning yeah. and was powered up, or didn't have her wheat bix. So was like hungry and super tenacious, but. Um, it was a really interesting listen, and one of the points she made is that actually National only called for the borders to be closed two hours before Cabinet met that day before deciding to close them. So it's an interesting listen. Susie and her element. 
Yeah, I think some of the criticisms about the whole Samoa went faster and sooner. A, li- a lot of it hinges on semantics, just like there's no one lockdown you know, around the world. Um, there's no one border closure. Everyone's got different sort of parameters. You know, a week before we went into level four lockdown, I met one of my friends from overseas at the airport who had returned. And at that point, there was sort of, you know, quote unquote, mandatory self-isolation. But there was no enforcement of that. Sure. She had been travelling on a plane with British backpackers who said, we're going to isolate in a combi van while we travel around the country. <laughs> so it's it's not... Look, I know. think that there it's absolutely true to say that the, the we went hard and early uh, or harder and earlier than anyone else is is not correct. Like, mm. could, we could have gone earlier and harder on some things. That's absolutely mm-hmm. true. But it's also true that to say Samoa went a month earlier is, is, is just, it doesn't really stack up. And so I think that while the critique is a good one, the Samoa example possibly is falling short. So disrespectful, Toby. I'm sorry to disrespect Samoa. I can't bear this fucking disrespect. Um, Annabelle stormed out on behalf of Samoa. Uh, The day, of course, for the National Party, possibly one of the reasons that... Oh, sorry, can we just go back? Can we just do two things about... Oh, hang on. Just everyone... Ben's got notes. He's going to get through those notes. Hell or high water. No, He's got a whole lot of material here. This is beautifully bullet pointed. Just let us know when you... We'll just wait. You're just thumbing through the, yeah. Okay. I've got it indexed. Um, one thing that I thought didn't get picked up was when they were talking about mental health, Judith Collins was singing the praises of Matt Ducey, who's the a very good national uh, spokesperson on mental health. Mm. And she said, he's a, m- a mental health professional. And she said, Matt Ducey has had quite a lot to do in Parliament as well, actually. <laughs> and I was just, what is this? Was, was he like, you know, was what does Todd that mean? Muller stretching out on one of the Parliament like sofas and mm. having a chat with Matt? Do- it's also, it seems like a very strange thing to say. Mm. Um, I have no idea why that's funny. You Sorry, know, keep do, going. Do, do they have? Yeah, like you know, do, is is he their e- EPA or EAP program at National? Everyone gets three free sessions with Matt <laughs> Ducey when they're under strain. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I, I said it's got more, more more notes. I, I had some stuff about the quick fire round. Did we? Well, we. I feel like we covered that off. I mean, you've got you've actually got tables I've on got your tables. notes. Yeah, it's mm. um. This is his. This is this is this is data visualization <laughs> on a podcast. I'm I think this is another first. I'm a political from scientist. By mm-hmm. Very quickly, Ben. The I mean these ex- these these quick fire rounds are sort of. As Neil Jones, the uh, former Labour Chief of Staff, pointed out, they're an exercise in memorisation and an exercise in commodity selection by staff members. Yeah, they got flashcards, basically, right? They get flashcards. So they both knew that Netflix was eleven ninety nine. Uh, they both got different different uh, prices for milk because they probably memorised different varieties. Um, neither of them knew about lamb because lamb had been off out of the notice of Not the staff. And, and plus we learned last week that I they're basically it twice vegan. Yeah, what, yeah, about yeah. what about fish? What about a leg of fish? What about a leg of fish? Kia ora, I'm Sophie. And I'm Simon. And I'm Alice. And together we host the spin-offs food podcast, Dietary Requirements. Join us each month as we explore a vast culinary landscape. From the gourmet Ooh la la. to your more hearty taka. Kiwi onion dip, anyone? Everything's on the table in Dietary Requirements. Subscribe wherever you listen to all your other favourite podcasts. Uh, 
Um, and, you know, yeah, well, that, that was pretty much it. No one can see my tables. Um, it's very sad. It's powerful. Would you like to hum them? Hum them? Earlier in the day, National had faced a kind of return of the plague that had tormented them in earlier months in 2020 with MPs, at least two, maybe three, leaking to News Hub, to TVNZ, to Stuff and RNZ, or at least talking to them about the Judith Collins tendency to policy make during the campaign. The only question being whether it's on the hoof or on the fly. Seems to be some disagreement. I'm not quite sure on the mm. classifying difference. But Denise Lee particularly had, had written an email to caucus and criticising Judith Collins announcing during, I think it was the Mike Hosking breakfast show the other day, that there would be an inquiry into Auckland Council um, structures. And in that MP... Denise Lee, among other things, criticised a shockingly bad display of poor culture, which is quite tense. <laughs> quite tense to happen 11 days out from the election when voting is already open. A, for that to be the mood in caucus, and B, well, B, C, D, E, and F, for that then to be leaked to the media. Look, Denise Lee, like a lot of national electorate MPs, is not going to be having a great time right now. There's a big swing nationwide, obviously, towards Labour away from national. That means that seats like Maunga Kekia, which Denise Lee possibly only won in the last election because Chloe Swarbrick split the vote with uh, Priyanka Radhakrishna, mm. the Labour candidate. Um, you would say, even with boundary changes, pretty likely that Denise Lee will lose that seat and then she's going to have a hard time getting back on the list with Nationals Party vote right now. So you can understand why there's there's pressure on these individuals. Um, look, policy making on the hoof happens during campaigns. It, it just does. You know, whether it's happening in a debate or, you know, as with Judith Collins' uh, proposal to legislatively claw back the wage subsidy. That sort of thing doesn't happen. Look, there's or, captain's or, or, calls, or but then there's... Or I whether mean, it happens the next morning on the Mike Hosking breakfast show where Judith Collins says, we probably won't claw back legislatively <laughs> the wage subsidy. That would probably be quite hard. So, and, and we had the same thing during the last campaign. Jacinda Ardern changed the position on, she made a captain's call on capital gains tax, she made a captain's call She on, didn't make it during a debate, to be fair to her. No, no, She no. didn't just go, actually, you know what, I'm going to... No, and I, I don't, my understanding is that that uh, Auckland Council policy wasn't made up during the Okay, Hosky sure. Interview. The wage subsidy debuted. one was, the yeah, Gloria Vera inquiry was. was, maybe yeah. the farming inquiry, you know, that's... Um, but, but you do get people making commitments during debates, and, and more importantly, yes. during a campaign, you do have to be nimble, you do have to basically come up with policy without the normal, um, without the normal processes. And, and every groups. interview, though? You just got to keep it. Keep you got to keep momentum. You got to keep it cooking. <laughs> keep what it do rolling. you want? Out doing a walkabout just on Ponsonby Road right now. What do you want? I want free ice creams. Free ice creams. Yeah. Done. Put it in the manifesto. It's like boo boo. Yeah, I, I I want somewhere to like eat my ice cream in the shade underneath the Kate Shepherd statue. Double duty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make a statue of you, sweetheart. What's your name? <laughs> um, but but I mean the really. The really um, 
disturbing thing for the Nats was the leak. Mm. Now, that's been portrayed as there's chaos in the National Party caucus, people are turning on Judith Collins. I'm actually not too sure about that. I mean, we can't... For instance, Tover O'Brien, who had the leaked email, didn't clarify... She said it was an, an MP... She didn't clarify whether it was an MP who was standing for re-election or whether it was an MP on their way out who maybe had a bit of beef with the party and Judith Collins and what's happened. Um, either we, we may never know who the leaker was. Either way, it was a pretty appalling uh, disclosure. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not the sign of a party that feels like it. Look, they were, there was a sense that things were moving since that first debate. Judith Collins has had a skip in her step. She's been doing really well. And we talked about that last week. There was definitely some sense of momentum. I just sort of, I don't know whether this is, it's overstating it to suggest that the bottom is about to fall out. But you feel as though, I just, I just, I just don't really see now how you can sell that strong team, better economy, thingamy, jingamy, dingamy, dang. I think what it suggests is that after the election, um, that there will be a reckoning for Judith within the party, that it won't be a... A biblical one? Just that perhaps it won't be um, a foregone conclusion that she will remain leader and she prob- it's likely that she she will face a leadership challenge. And, I mean, look, there's two things to that. The first is that uh, it really depends who's still there. Denise Lee is obviously a bit um, mm. discontent, but she might not be in caucus. Mm. Uh, the the likely leaker um, may not be in caucus. Paula Bennett, who got into a contratemp with my old colleague Matthew Houdin. A uh, good old-fashioned flame war on Twitter. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, wherein both said that we're, we're in both, no longer associated really and actively in the National Party campaign, mm. said that they would have or could have done better than each other. Um, but but the other thing is, look, Judith Collins will face a leadership challenge. I mean, as far as I understand, Christopher Luxon essentially believes that he will walk into the caucus room the first day that Parliament convenes and sort of be anointed. Directly across the lagoon. Ca- mm. Carried on a litter. On water. Like, <laughs> and, and crowned king of the National Party. Um, and some, some cynical people have suggested that because Luxon belongs to that kind of Christian conservative strain of national that's becoming stronger, uh, that that may have played a part in um, Judith Collins seeing the light in the last week. Yeah, um, well, let's move on to that. I mean, I think, I, think, I think we should just say that Christopher Luxon, well, the one time I've spoken to him, he was very clear that that wasn't, he didn't see it that way at all. And um, we'll, I guess we'll, we'll find out. It's, there's certainly sometimes an appetite to anoint people uh, well before uh, they're even <laughs> in Parliament. But yes, uh, the, the, we've, we've segued onto that question of the faith thing, the old, um, my husband is Christian, so hallelujah. The photograph that was at the centre of this was um, Judith Collins going to St Thomas Church, I think, in um, Tamaki, uh, ahead of voting on Sunday. A kind of incredible photo. It was one of those photos that will be <coughs> defining, in some sense, of the campaign in which she was standing alone, sit, kneeling alone, I should say, hands clasped together, very much like a prayer emoji, a prayer. Eleven and, days out, we're probably at about the fourth station of the election. <laughs> and uh, she said that she was on the way in there, uh, and someone at the church invited her to 
pray, and she did, and she the media then came in, and she wasn't going to tell them to go in. That's fine, but it follows also her volunteering various examples about her Christian faith in both the first two debates, mm. I think. Um, and I'm a Christian and a feminist, so go figure. I think that's what she yeah. said in the News Hub debate. And she said in response to a question about... Nicky Hager burning forever. There was Nicky Hager was going to meet his maker. There was also a line about Winston Peters, whether or not she would work with him, and she said she, she's a Christian. I believe in miracles. <laughs> but even that miracle has come to stop. Anyway, there are various examples of it. It doesn't seem like something that could be put down to chance. I've read Judith Collins' book, and there is almost no mention of Christianity in there. It's not, it's not, it's not, there's, there's a reference to Anglicanism, I think, once, and there's, you know, there's a, there's, there's a bit there, and she points out that she talked about it in her maiden speech. But it's an interesting time, Annabelle, and there's been speculation, we can probably overthink it, but the speculation is whether this is an attempt to scoop up the vote on the right for this election, or whether it's about trying to placate and manage her caucus after the election? Uh, I think it's, personally, I think it's um, definitely an attempt to to scoop up more of that um, conservative um, vote that's being scattered across a, a range of, um, mm. of minor parties. What I find really interesting about it is, is seeing the way Christians on on Twitter have responded to it. So um, I've seen different ones talking about, oh, we never knew this about Judith. We really want to hear her faith story. Mm. Mm. Is it in her book? And I think for, for um, perhaps for a certain sector of, of um, Christians, it will be super appealing, but I think that there will also be a number of, of really devout Christians who... Um, who don't feel the same way mm. and, and who may see it as a somewhat hollow move. So mm. it's kind of a high-risk strategy, really. Yeah, I think so as well. The median voter in New Zealand has not tended to respond to outwards religiosity. Um, Bill English was very devout. Simon mm. Bridges is very devout. Mm. Todd Muller is a man of faith, but you never... Re Bill English, you know, you were always aware of his Catholic background and it's a, didn't it's shy away from it, but you certainly never saw him praying. It's a curious, mm -hmm. contrast, curious contrast with a number of other countries where not to have an overt faith would be seen as a problem. Mm -hmm. I remember when Ed Miliband became leader of the Labour Party in the UK and he said he was an atheist, and there was a lot of people going, <gasps> you know, that was the first thing, because oh, you just, it's just not It would done. be utterly you know, disqualifying in the United, United States. States. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's kind of interesting that it, that it should be almost the other way around, that it should be yeah. seen as almost a risk factor too. Yeah, and I think a lot of New Zealanders are looking what's happening in the States at the moment and how Christian fundamentalism um, and the state, you know, mixing together there and the outcomes that it's having and, you know, the rolling back of things like abortion mm. laws and that sort of stuff. And mm. I think that probably for a lot of younger um, or middle-aged voters, it, 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 it will definitely be seen as a as a risk mm. to, to mix um, religion with politics so but, overtly. But this is the weird thing about it as well, is that she she's an Anglican. I mean, you know, you can't... 
you know, the commonalities between Anglicanism and the cons- what we would call the conservative Christian right mm. in politics, there's almost no overlap. Like I mean, clo- closer, not even closer to atheism. So, and Judith Collins has certainly not been courting that uh, advanced New Zealand or perhaps parts of the conservative, uh, new conservative vote in any really aggressive way. You know, yesterday at the debate, she said that uh, she believed in fluoridation, for instance. I mean, that's that immediately rules out everyone who's voting with Never Vance New Zealand, <laughs> probably <laughs> half of the n- n- new cons as well. Um, she last week said that she wouldn't work with the Advanced New Zealand Party if they were somehow managed to make it into Parliament because she's not insane. Mm. Um, so, you know, and she, she hasn't mm. resiled in any way on her socially liberal stances on abortion, on mm. uh, end-of-life choice, or, yeah. Yep. So, it's I mean, it's, it's just a puzzling kind of thing. I mean, I sort of partly wonder whether the strategy at the moment is, oh, I'll give it a try. Like, why not? Th- that seems to be the vibe, right? Because it's... You can't mention Christianity that many times by mistake mm. after not having <laughs> really. I mean, I worked in the Beehive for six years in the in the key government. It, it, faith never featured as part of Collins's politics, and that's not to say that there's anything insincere about it. Just that you know you have to make that decision to then bring it to the forefront to communicate that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, the advance voting is underway. You mentioned it before, Ben. Uh, the first three days, those being Saturday, Sunday, Monday, saw 271,369 people vote, which is a lot. I think I saw someone suggesting that was coming up towards something like 12%. I don't know. I, I'm, uh, you, you're, yeah. the, you're the data visualisation guy. It's about 2.2 million votes last time. Um, so it's a lot. Well, so it's more, more, it's more, more like 9% then or something. Um, uh, no, it's more than 10%. 12, 12%. Yeah, like yeah. I was saying, 12%. Um, that's from the lab. That's just the latest data from the lab. If we could get a calculator. <laughs> Tina, can we get a calculator? The, but uh, various people have been suggesting that the sort of big turnout so far is because people are thinking if we get all the votes done, then they'll just have to stop. We'll <laughs> <laughs> just be, we'll just call an end to it. No need to do the last debate. Everyone's already voted. Um, what are you, Annabelle, thinking? Casting forward to election night is most in play as far as the Māori seats are concerned, because there are pretty few seats this time around. Sometimes we've normally had a bit of Epsom or. You know, we've had a had a had a little bit of Tetai Tokoro that's been sort of felt like in play and could you know really shift the axis in terms of the balance of parties in Parliament. We've been looking this time at Auckland Central, which I don't know if we'll get to this time, but probably isn't in play. You never know; it might be it's getting tighter. We've talked about Tetai Haaru, and now there's a poll in Waikiki suggests that might be a bit more of a contest. You've completed six of seven debates now. Mm-hmm. What is it? What is it? What are you most Amped for? Um, I'm most amped for our um, debate this evening, which is um, Debbie Ngariwa Packer and Adrian Rudafi. There was a poll that came out um, last week um, that showed Adrian comfortably ahead, but I still think that, you know, polling Māori seats is, is not an exact 
science. So I, I definitely still think that that um, seat is in play. We had um, Rawiri Waititi and um, Tamati Coffee's debate a couple of weeks ago. Rawiri, again, I've said before, is a very impressive candidate. He stood mm. for Labour in Waiariki in 2014 and did a great job. The poll suggests that you know the the gap between them is you know, is Within conquerable, yeah. I guess you could say. Um, any challenger basically is taking on Jacinda Mania and Jacinda remains a really popular leader mm. within Te Ao Māori, so um, that's difficult. What I've noticed throughout the debates, though, is that the Māori Party, uh, in most of the seats not all, uh, fronting some really exciting, charismatic, well-connected community leaders who are, you know, showing enthusiasm and energy and innovation that you can't when you're a sitting MP. And with our Labour MPs, I'm not sure if it's because it's been an incredibly long election campaign, they've Mm. had coronavirus and a number of, you know, dramas, but... They're coming across as um, experienced and understanding of how government works, but tired mm. and not very exciting, mm. um, not invigorating, not inspiring people to get out and, and vote, which is different to what they were last time. I think last time they came across as a lot more um, um, exciting and inspirational. So, Is part of that safety first, do you think? I'm not sure. I think possibly, you know, this t- last time they're around... They're back on the list now. Last time, they're back on the list. Last time around, you know, they were campaigning with their pants on fire because they, they did all come off the... The list, but um, this time I'm not sure if they've been if they've learnt some hard lessons from Kiwi Build about you know don't over promise and mm. under deliver. And this time you know they've been told to take a more measured approach. But there is a, a lack of um, of energy coming through in the debates. In my eyes, um, I, I think maybe next week, which will be our last podcast before the election, should it ever finally arrive. Um, we will maybe talk about a few other seats that we're interested in that we think we'll be watching on election night. Can I just say we had the Te Tai Tonga debate last time, last night, which was how, how did that one, how did that how did that go, Annabelle? Um, mildly traumatic, to be honest. It's the first time in my twenty years of creating content that I had someone drop an f bomb live on air, and that was probably the least of my problems. But um, uh, Takuta Ferris was a really um, confident, um, charismatic candidate he's standing for the Māori Party. I don't mm. know much about him. I don't know his background, but um, he put, put in a really, really impressive um, performance against my whanaunga rino. So um, he's definitely one to keep a, an eye out for as well. But so it's really what, the Tetai Tetakatane season. Yeah, what's, that's what, right. What are, what are 63 his years they've held it. Success sort of measured by percentage of Tetakatane DNA that he holds. That's a very good question. I would say not high, not high, but um, but in terms of enthusiasm, te reo, charismatic, mana enhancing tanga that the Māori Party loves. He's got all of that stuff in spades. Very quickly, Annabelle, if people uh, 
missed the debate on the internet, which they're on Facebook Live, I think, and on the news website. Is there any other way they can watch them? Yep, they're on YouTube as well. And on TV on the weekend. And on TV. They replay it on Saturdays and Sundays. So on Saturdays will be the Te Taihauaru debate before... Before the nation or after the nation? I should know this. Um, and um, on Sunday, it'll be the Te Tai Tonga debate before the hui. Okay, we've got to push on. Ben, before we go, you went to the minor party, or what was called the uh, power, power, broker, power broker debate. Um, Annabelle, wasn't, wasn't, you were, just double check, were you, you were meant to be there. I was meant to be there, but I just, I, I, Hmm? I was just tired. You're tired. That's a little bit. It's tired. been a long. It's been a long campaign. <laughs> ben, needed a little more noise. There was. What did you make of it? Uh, give, give us your. Give us your quick wrap. Give us a data visualization. Uh, Tamahiri made the most noise. John Tamahiri, John Tamahiri co-leader of the Māori Party. Um, his interplay with Winston was, you know, reasonably illuminating. Hmm. Um, do you think that they J- JT and Winston for Radio Live afternoons mm. after two thousand? Yeah, the ZB Sports mm. in the afternoon. It was good to watch. Afternoons, yeah. yeah. I don't know that it would have shifted any opinions. Uh, David Seymour obviously had the sort of centre right ground to himself. Mm. Um, Winston sort of receded into the background a little bit. Um, Martin Davidson played it pretty safe as well. Um, yeah. I, I mean, you know, I don't know. It, it, I, I, I wonder just how much any of these debates are even sort of registering in our medium-term memory anymore. Mm. Mm. One thing that I'm finding interesting is, like, in the past when we've had debates, usually um, the candidates come with some key figures from the party who are there to, like, groom them and support them. Mm. And there definitely hasn't been as much of that this time. And I, I suspect it's because... There's actually so many debates and panels and liveies and, you know, with social media and podcasts and all the rest of it, it's really kind of fragmented the coverage. So I don't know if parties are feeling a bit Mm. spread thin, Mm. but but definitely not the amount of reinforcement around candidates um, that there used to be. Uh, I'd love to see a debate with all the leaders in it. We did one last time round, and, and um, maybe we'll do it again next time if you're still alive in 2023. But we had basically the deputy leaders. We did a debate, a spin-off debate, and we had um, but representatives, representatives of all the parties. It was great you fun. You were great. Um, you did that great opening. It was the one with Marama Fox when she gave the fingers. Ma- eh? Marama did the, did the fingers. Gareth, Gareth Morgan debate. said that all New Zealanders were idiots. It was good Shane fun. Shane Jones Drifted off about Shane, three or four Shane times. Shane Jones sort of fell asleep and then insulted everybody. It was good. Auntie Paula was there. Auntie Paula was there. Um, Kelvin was there. Kelvin, Kelvin Davis was, was there. there. But but it felt like you actually. I think it's, and it, this isn't the, the media aren't to blame for this. This is the this is the restrictions that are placed on it by the party machines. But I I think I would. I, I, I would like to see all of those people on stage at the same time a bit and see some of the ways that they relate to each other when you have that kind of power broker or minor mm. thing sometimes you miss out. That's, like- the, that's the other exciting thing that happened last week. Oh, The courts finally knocked back a minor party trying to butt into a oh, TV yes. debate. Mm. Um, Dunn and Media Works is the 2005 decision where uh, a high court judge issued an interim injunction basically forcing... Uh, MediaWorks, a privately owned 
media company mm. to build, you know, new podiums to let Peter Dunn and I think Jim Anderton into their crammed debate studio. Um, it was a bad decision at the time. The courts have kind of clung to it because of the way precedent works in the High Court. But last week, you know, the court said enough is enough. <laughs> you know, the, the criteria is clear enough. The, cons- the new conservative, uh, sorry, Advance New Zealand, who were the ones who were rejected, are so minor and so insignificant <laughs> that mm. they, they can't they can't make the threshold. And so we are seeing a bit more of a clawback on that way of minor parties just basically bullying the media into covering them. I think that's a great note to go out on. It's really good to hear Ben Thomas acknowledging the debt that New Zealand owes the whānau Palmer in the legal uh, dynasty. I would be remiss if I didn't say thank you very much to Tina Tiller. Thanks, Tina. God, we love you, Tina Tiller. And, uh, of course, also the bad boys of Brexit. Catch you next week. Kia ora e te iwi. Te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.